Hello, I'm Di Redmond, and I'm your host for today's Songs in the Wilderness. In this programme, we listen to the songs that have influenced our lives and our guests throughout their life and have influenced their faith too. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Sarah de Nordwall, bard, actor and teacher. Welcome, Sarah. It's lovely to have you on the programme and thank you for dropping everything and whooshing (laughs) in. So you grew up in Manchester, I quote, um, and space hoppers and top of the pops were big in your life. (laughs) And also, I've never heard this before, you were working very hard at school, so hard your parents actually asked you to stop. Yes, I know. My father said, where do you get this all from? They used to try and get me to come and watch television. Um, Though we did have plenty of television as well. But for some reason, um, I always wanted to work incredibly hard at school. And I wanted to go to the most difficult school to get into. (laughs) And my parents were thoroughly bemused, as was my sister. But we did spend plenty of time, you know, on roller skates, on space hoppers, skipping in the street and so forth. But... um, Yeah, I was just remembering how, I mean, I worked too hard. It was a bit silly, really. I wish I'd spent more time in the shopping mall now, you know. But um, So you're a long way from the north, but did you enjoy it? I mean, I grew up uh, up in Manchester. Oh, right, Um, okay. It's it's a vibrant, hopping, jumping, great place. Did you enjoy it? Well, I enjoyed I enjoyed my childhood and my friends, but I must confess that all my life I have related to London, and I oh. always had my eye on the road to London, like Dick Whittington, <laughs> from the <laughs> earliest age. And I was therefore completely teased because I did not have a Manchester accent, oh. and all my friends did, even my sister did, and so I was, you know, really teased because of that. But I didn't really mind. I mean. Manchester was fine. I was lived in Bramhall, Stockport. It was a beautiful old Tudor house where we'd go and play. And what was it called? Bramhall Hall. Oh, Bramhall Hall. Yes, I know it. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a lovely area, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. gorgeous. It is now. It's really shishy. Yeah. Well, actually, we lived in a really brand new 1960s kind of communist style block. <laughs> near an attractive Tudor house and it was like one of those places where you know nobody was allowed to paint the door of their front house a different colour because Mm. everything had to be the same it was flat roofs cut into a quarter but it was joyful for children because we were Mm. totally safe we just ran around all day in the street and um, when we went at school of course working terribly hard Um, (laughs) and yeah it was just absolutely fantastic and we were on wheels more often than we were on our feet there was something about having a pair of wheels under your feet. <laughs> absolutely. You, I mean, we would tie ropes to the back of bicycles yes, and then our, my sister would cycle off and then we'd be like playing chariots and Ben-Hur, you know. We did that with the dog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we didn't have a dog, but that does sound fantastic with a pack of huskies. Um, we did it, um, we did, yeah, just bicycle, hordes of bicycles and, and going up planks that were balanced precariously on a pile of bricks. I mean, health and safety to the wind. I mean, I fell off my bike probably every single day. And my mother, you know, used to take me to the doctor to have my knees bandaged uh, because she just couldn't bear to look anymore. I I just think children have too much of a safe time now. I mean, we Mm. just had a great time. Yeah, yeah, we were lucky. So um, I quote you, no faith education as such, but plenty of religious movies. But how school must have been very different for, for you and your pursuit of knowledge and your hunger for it and ambition. 
Um, how, how did all that... How did all that fit together? Mm. Well, actually, it was very interesting, you know, because our memories can deceive us sometimes, can't they? I mm. had this imagination that I had no religious education. And yet when my father died and I looked through my mother's notes, I found pictures that I'd drawn when I was four of, like, God looking out of the sky to see if we are okay and things like that. So I thought mummy must have spoken to us about God. And of course, when I looked through our books, there were ladybird books, Jesus's friend. We just didn't go to church, you know, but we did say our guardian angel prayer because I was baptized Catholic at three months old. Oh, we just were? didn't go oh, right. to church. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, um, it was just that kind of relaxed kind of, you know, mummy was half Irish, half English brought up in China. Daddy was had Ashkenazi Jews on both sides, but f he became Catholic when he was seven for some reason I never got to the bottom of. But by the time I was born, he'd given it all up and didn't want me to become practicing Catholic at all. But the thing about movies was I remember one day, because I have a great admiration for, as you know, the good uses of television and social media, and here we are on the radio. I was watching Jesus of Nazareth when oh, I was yes, about eight. Yes. Do you remember how brilliant it is? <laughs> it was fabulous. I think I watched, I watched it, it eight year. times. Yeah, it's fantastic, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone is cast beautifully. Yes. It's just too gorgeous. It's too gorgeous. <laughs> well, I called out to my mother and father. And I said, Mummy, Daddy, come in, quick, quick, come quick. And my mother was thought some disaster mm. had happened. And I said, they're putting holes in this nice man's hands. Oh. And she said... Oh, for goodness sake, I thought it was a... That's Jesus. And I was like, oh, as though that was an explanation <laughs> for what was happening. And then I remember once I went to the cinema with Dad and we saw, or maybe it was one of those Sunday afternoon movies in black and white. It was Cecil B. DeMille's... Oh, uh, yes. The Ten Commandments. <gasps> and do you remember when Moses comes down the mountain? The mountain, with the tablets. Yes, and all the, all the Jews are sort of making merry with the golden calf. Well... I was appalled. <laughs> I was probably, I don't know, I was like nine or something. And I was absolutely scandalised. So I had this kind of strong religious, uneducated sense. And it never left me, this thing about idolatry being so absolutely appalling. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. So we're uh, up to your first piece of music. Um, is it evocative of this time in your life? Can you tell us about it and introduce oh, the piece? yes. Well, this is... This is Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney singing <laughs> Good Morning, 1939. Do look it up on YouTube. It's absolutely adorable. And m with my mother on Sunday, we didn't go to church, but we did watch the 1, 1.50 p.m. Uh, BBC Two black and white movie with plenty of tap dancing and everything on it. I'm not saying that's uh, you know, an equivalent education, <laughs> but it was certainly an important part. It's and vivid. it's just so full of joy, <laughs> isn't it? You know, And there's also a fantastic version of this song, obviously, in Singing in the Rain. But Oh, yes, yes. It, it's fantastic, mm. isn't it, with mm. Debbie Reynolds mm. and Red Skelton. And, mm -hmm. Anyway, absolutely fantastic. But this version is so lovely because Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland were always putting on a show in a barn, weren't they? And that barn was always like <laughs> as big as an airport hangar and filled with a thousand lights that they provided, obviously, from their pocket money. Um, this, this was the vision of life for me, you know. Mummy being Irish, we always had to have our own party piece, you know. And if you were asked to entertain people, you were at a party, you weren't allowed to say no, even if you could only play some rubbish piece of music on the piano. 
So, you know, we always had to get up and entertain. So you did, you sang this yourself. You could do if you were actually asked to push. Well, maybe not. <laughs> yes, almost certainly. I was very good at magic tricks and impersonations of politicians uh, when I was in, pr- in primary school. I think I used to, I think I did a very good version of Dennis Healy's budget speech. God only knows how I've made that funny. But <laughs> Let's hear Judy Garland. Yes. sung by Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Such a great choice. Fabulous. Thank you. You had us bopping around the studio there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, when I remember once at home, when the dishwasher broke, um, my father said, we're not going to mend it because we'd stopped singing at washing up time. Oh, sweet. You know, and it was like my mother was just, I mean, the Irish just love to sing, don't they? And so we just used to sing all the time. We'd sing in the car to London to visit my gran all the way there when we weren't (laughs) counting how many silver herbies my sister and I could find. But we used to count lampposts. That was terribly exciting. But the singing was essential. And Well, uh, well, it's obviously influenced your whole whole life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yes, for sure. Clearly. I mean, that music in your head has never gone away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, my father used to call me Pollyanna as well, always finding something to be glad about. And I think these movies, they had a a lovely, upbeat thing. Actually, at home in Walsingham the other day, Charlotte and I were watching Little Lord Fauntleroy, another book my mother read to me, and I read it to her in her care home. And Freddie Bartholomew, in the early version, plays... Little Lord Fauntleroy, and if you're watching it, Dick the Shoeshine Boy is Mickey Rooney, and he can't be older than ten years old. Oh, really? Fantastic! He's um, just the best actor. He must. Have, that must have been his debut. It, it, it could have been his debut. Absolutely. So, from jolly old Mickey, um, yes. let's move on to this trip to the Witchcraft Museum, which is obviously <laughs> really, really a, a turning point in your life. Well, it was yes, because m- my parents and their sort of 
yeah, happy-go-lucky holiday modality uh, in Cornwall. It oh, it was in Cornwall? It was in Cornwall. Oh, that's it's even more Boston sinister. Castle. Indeed. Well, it's run by the practitioners of the black arts. And uh, I think Mummy just thought it was probably just like a fairy tale sort of place mm-hmm. we went in. <laughs> and was, Little leprechauns. It, well, no leprechauns. No, indeed not. No, ghastly things in window displays of actual satanic rituals. And other things I won't really describe. It all went completely over their heads. And I was just... I'm sure I've mentioned this before on a programme sometime, but I was absolutely appalled and struck to the core. And I was in shock afterwards for for a while. And um, I remember um, sometime later, I was playing Snap with my sister, my younger sister, and my mother was on the phone chatting to her, one of her many six sisters, and saying, oh, Sarah's been a bit odd since that witchcraft museum. I think she's become a witch. And I jumped up onto my feet and I threw my snap cards on the floor. We need the blue snap cards. I said, I have not. (laughs) She's like, calm down. But the thing is, I think it just struck me, this Uh utter perversity, though I wouldn't have called it that. And... In fact, what happened was when I went back to the farmhouse where my one of my mum's sisters was staying, who was practicing the faith properly, she was praying the rosary, and I asked her what she was doing, and then she took me to mass the next day. I was going to say this this coincided very quickly with you going um, going to mass and picking up mm. picking up those the well the beginnings of Catholicism or was it was it, I was already in you you were you know baptized a Catholic I get mm. that but that this quickly followed. It's as if good needed to follow bad. Well, it did, but it actually took a little bit of time. I was 11 when I went to the Witchcraft Museum. and oh, my blimey, it's really mass. formative, isn't but it? It really was. And my goodness, it's important now because, you know, we're in a war, you know, and it's kept that alive in my mind. But what happened was my sister, who didn't have quite the same zeal for study as I did, she was probably a bit more balanced about it, she, my mother decided to send her off to the convent school and then she was like, oh, gosh, I've forgotten to bring them up as Catholic. So she <laughs> sent us off to a catechism class, which my sister was highly unmotivated to go to. So she dragged me along, otherwise she refused to go. And so we just studied the Penny Catechism. Which is the worst possible introduction. Well, it was absolutely I mean, I could, I could chant it now if you... Yeah, who made me? God made me. How did God make you? God made me to know him, love him and, and uh, something with him Be in happy this world. Be for, uh, in this world and forever in the next. Yes, exactly. Don't ask me anymore. I'll well, here all this day. This is my entire formation. And I was like, okay, brilliant. I'll do that then. So I, there was this lovely woman, actually, uh, from Opus Day. She taught us the catechism on a Monday night for a few months, very thoroughly. And at the end, she said, well, you know, it's just your choice now. Do you want to do this or not? You have to go to Mass every, every Sunday for the rest of your life. Confession. Yeah, confession, all of that. And so I came back the next week and I was like, yep, do that then. After a few weeks, my sister and my mum didn't come to Mass anymore. I think they'd sort of done their studies, they thought. And But I just, I don't know what it was. I just carried on. I cycled along singing Ave Maria, Grazia Plena and all that to, to the local church. Which was where, in London? It was in uh, Bramhall. Oh, in Bramhall? You studied, yeah, of course, I was still in Bramhall. Like 13. Yeah, yeah. I went to this very hard-working sort of, uh, it was a Protestant school, actually, 
Um, both the religion teachers were atheists. Both of my godparents are atheists, actually. But for some reason, I just stuck to it. And uh, because I thought it was true. And that was all that mattered to me. Is it mm. true? Well, that's it then. That's amazing. It was unspectacular. Well, I, th- I think... Straightforward. Um, I mean, I, I identify a lot with what you're saying. Oh, really? Tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, no, because it's not my show. But <laughs> um, anyway, yours is much more um, exciting. But now we get to the really exciting bit. You meet Pope John Paul. Ah, yes. Wow. So how did this happen? I mean, zippity doo dah. you're on a bike, <laughs> you decided to become a Catholic... Um, bingo, the next thing, you're in the Vatican. Well, what happened... (laughs) It it sounds like that, but how it went, it involved more bicycles, actually. So, (laughs) I... um my father was not happy that I, you know, was going to take my faith so seriously and would try to persuade me not to go to Mass if it was raining and convince me I'd get flu and, like, I will not get flu. So he'd drive me. Um, And then, after a while, I just thought, I need to go back to that place, which I was now not allowed to go to, uh, where I'd learnt catechism. And I must ask them a bit more about faith, because I hadn't really heard anything new, didn't have a youth group, didn't have anything. I thought, I'm going to go and ask them a question. So I cycled around there. And the woman that answered the door, I'd never seen her before, and I got chatting to her and I said, look, um, I was 17 by then. She said, I really want to see God, but I'm I'm still not really sure what that exactly means. What do you think? So we got into a chat and it was a very helpful conversation and I'm still in touch with her now, you know. And she said, you know what you need to do before you go to university? You need to make sure that you go to Rome. This was before university? Yeah, yeah. She said, you need to go to Rome and you need to go to... um, You need to experience Easter in Rome before you go to university. So I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. So she organised for me to go on a group. Oh, uh, good, right. And and so I went. And my first arrival in Rome with this lovely group of people... um, was because I, I had a, a pre-university job at IBM or something. My father was absolutely thrilled, um, <laughs> and, and uh, so I could afford it. So if I went, and the first thing I saw were these incredible palm leaves because it was Palm Sunday. Oh, Palm Sunday, yeah. Going into yes, the yes. Uh, piazza, mm. and there was John Paul II speaking to us from a distance. But that wasn't when I actually met him. You see, the Which next was year... The, uh, uh, you met him three times. Well, because we, it was organised for us to go into the Vatican because I then organised um, a university national conference thing in my first year um, because when I started university, um, I was involved with Opus Dei for oh, about right. 10 years, who mm-hmm. were fantastic at formation. They really encourage your ambition for good. And so... They said, Sarah, why don't you organise this conference that compares your university studies to the truth? And I'm like, well, I want to do that for sure. (laughs) So uh, I did. And I trotted around to Oxford and Cambridge and invited people along. And off we went and did a paper at the Rome Library. And then we were invited, you see, to meet John Paul II. Amazing. It was the most exciting moment in my life. And Where? Which room? Well, there was a little courtyard... And we could all meet him. But then we, there was also the big Vatican thing where you would go to the front row because I'd done the coordination of the conference and he came along and blessed us. And because I was the person from the UK, then I got his blessing. And so, and I was doing a paper on popular culture and how it affected, you know, the way people feel and think about things. And this is in like, you know, the 1980s. And I just, 
the sunshine that he projected mm -hmm. was always with me. And when many years later I was in the Alps with a lovely group of people in an interfaith conference, and this girl did classical Indian dancing and she was Hindu, and she said, who's your guru then? I said, well, I don't know, I don't have a guru, unfortunately. She said, oh, I'm sure you do. She said, stop and think about it. And of course, you know, John Paul II came to mind and I just started to cry because he's just been a presence absolutely in my life. And the music you're choosing for the se your second piece is synonymous with him. Oh, yes, it's, it's wonderful. I found it because of my lovely friend Ruth Davis, who does a beautiful website using his motto, Totus Tours. And there's a novena to John Paul II, and this music was playing in the background, and it was written for his beatification Goodness. by... Who was he written by? Marco... What's he called? A lovely priest. Anyway, oh yes, Marco Frizzina. And he said when he wrote it that he wanted to convey the joy and the optimism uh, that, that he brought. And it does. Lovely. It's a very successful piece of music and it just, you know, the, the sunshine comes out when you hear it. Beautiful. And it means, open the doors to Christ. Courage, be not afraid. Enlarge your hearts to the love of God, to the charity of Christ. love that music so lovely thank you for that thank you for letting us listen to that um so our music choices this morning have been uh, chosen by our guest sarah de nordwall have i pronounced it right sarah de nordwall yes i don't it, i want it sounds norwegian but it can't be well actually nudval is is swedish so it is scandinavian oh, okay right. but it came from my um jewish ancestors right. who when they were in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, were not allowed to trade. So I believe, we're not terribly sure, they were given a title to disguise their Jewish identity. Oh, I see. And so my great-great-grandfather was Baron von Nudval, and then when he moved to England, they moved to England, they changed it from von to de. Right. It sounds grand. 
Well, I could always tell very quickly if I was on the netball team because it stood out. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrible at netball, though, so that didn't last long anyway. <laughs> so here we are. You're now um, at the London School of Speech and Drama. Everything is so thrilling. It's like a breathless, you know, journey. You, you know, you go, you bounce <laughs> from one wonderful thing well, to the I, next. I, I suppose it's been set up by Space Hoppers and Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney, really. <laughs> that was the zeitgeist. Well, you know, it's funny, isn't it? You know, somebody was talking to me last night about the Book of Chronicles and about the different way people mm-hmm. look at their own history. And it is interesting to, you can look with such different eyes at what's happened to your life. And you know that mosaic poem that my friend Helen did on the um, on the Bardcast the other day. It's 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 interesting to know what 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 does God see in someone's life and what do we notice? Mm-hmm. But um, certainly, certainly, drama school was something I really wanted to do. You I know, bet ever since I saw Born in a Trunk, you know, loved it. <laughs> and it was very very good fun in many many ways. But I was particularly glad that I was going to mass every morning because as well. Yes, well, there was a 7.30 mass in Quex Road, one of the biggest parishes in London. All you had to do was run down the road for half an hour, and there it was. So that was helpful. And and it put co- it put drama school in a different context, you see, mm. because a lot of the texts we were studying were pretty Marxist, or they were basically absurdist. And because I believed in God and transcendence and had some philosophical formation, it really set my experience apart. So I had all the fun of putting on Twelfth Night with my buddies and things like that. And we were in loads of plays, including a French one that was at the West End. But um, I didn't have the same kind of anguish of really entering into that ghastly, depressing... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I know what you a mean. ...a metaphysical mm. nightmare... Mm. Mm. that was university education in the 80s. And that kind of striving, succeeding, getting parts, not being picked, um, you know, it seems like, did that side, did that? Did did your strength and your joie de vivre just take you through that? Yes, actually. <laughs> I never worried I about any of that. I was just totally neurotic about exams, of course, because I never, I never stopped being neurotic <laughs> and overworking and... Uh, that's that's still goes on probably, but um, but as for parts, well, I'd always get things like, you know, Titania, Queen of the Fairies at school, and then Thomas Beckett in <laughs> Murder in the Cathedral, and then Electra. All those roles where you sort of needed to drag in a Catholic, you know, and be really intense and be terribly intense. Actually, one of the parts I played was Feste, you know, in Twelfth mm-hmm. Night, who is mm-hmm. the fool. Yes, it's a great role to yes, play, isn't yes. it? And. Bill Bailey, the comedian, was in the year above me, and um, he's actually been genuinely successful, <laughs> as opposed to me, who's run around the margins of eccentric existence. Um, and he, but he'd written this brilliant tune for another play we were in together, actually, at uh, the French Institute, because he speaks fluent French. And I accidentally borrowed a tune he'd written that I played on the treble recorder when I was feste, and I hadn't asked his permission. I don't think he was very pleased at all. Anyway, sorry, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to do what you got to do. So when you left um, the, uh, the the London School, did you go back to Manchester? Is this where this unpleasant incident happened in your life? I mean, for somebody so light and vibrant, it sounds like darkness suddenly descended in a very sinister way. Well, yeah, you need interesting things to happen, don't you? <laughs> Interestingly, I met this guy in the back of a church in in Manchester, and he was obviously a bit bizarre. But he, he was he was going to daily mass, but he obviously had things going on in his psyche that needed to be attended to, because 
I still, he started to sort of stalk me and stand outside my flat that I had at the time dressed as Dracula, which isn't normal really, is it? Leaving I'd notes under my door, putting a gloved hand through my letterbox and saying, one day I'll be in there waiting for you. <gasps> that sort of thing. But it's funny, I don't really get terribly alarmed by things. <laughs> I just find them interesting, to be perfectly honest, except exams, then I get really alarmed. Um, but things like this, I sort of find a bit fascinating. But the truth was, it was a bit dangerous. And in those days, um, the police didn't take the slightest bit of notice, that kind of thing. You reported it. Oh, yes. Uh, but they just said, oh, oh, there were no stalking laws then. Laws mm. have changed. Yes, things yes, have improved. They have. Absolutely. So I had to leave my job. I had to move to London. And so, so I suppose deep down, I was, I was quite glad about that, even though I loved the teaching, loved the children, and we put on mystery plays, and we had just the most fantastic time. And the children still get into... Well, they're not children now. They've got children of their own now. It's like goodbye, Mr Chips now, isn't it? But <laughs> it's like they... Um, just gorgeous. And so I moved to London, uh, where it was safer, good old London. And you managed to offload this guy? Well, actually, no, I did bump into him in London one day. No. Yes. He had this pale face. And I walked up to him and just said, hello, because I thought that was the right approach. Because, you see, if people want to scare you, if you're not scared, they've not succeeded. Yeah, that's true. But why do you want to scare somebody in the first place? Well, that'd be a long story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Better. But it's interesting, isn't mm. it? Yes. But then, hold on, we've just missed out a whole chunk of your life. You did travel across America in a, in, in a, in a Greyhound bus. Oh, well, that was one of the great blessings of university. Yes, they had this competition. You had to write an essay about why you should go to America because we had this hugely generous uh, drama professor. And instead of getting fees for the lectures he did, he gave a scholarship to three of his students each year to go to America and study drama at, at Berkeley and a subject of amazing. their choice. Amazing. And so I did, I chose, obviously I chose to do two courses because I had to work <laughs> harder, you know. So I did um, existentialism um, in film, novel and drama and epistemology from Plato to Wittgenstein, which was super, super, super Riveting, absolutely riveting stuff. Heavens, I'd love to talk about that, but not now because we have to ha hear about your third choice of music. Why is this so important to you? It's a really interesting choice. Oh, right. Ah, oh, well. Well, on the one level, it's really important because it's entertaining. It's f And I love people who entertain, basically. And these are a lovely... I call them a Jewish boy band. They wouldn't call themselves that, but everybody knows I love them. They How do you pronounce it? They are a choir from New York. How do you pronounce that? Yeshiva. Oh, is that how you oh, pronounce it? Oh, no, that's, that's the... The band is called the Maccabees. Yes, yes obviously based on the Maccabees, mm -hmm. and um, as we've had that in the readings, and it, it's called a, a Hasmonean, a Hamilton Hanukkah, sorry. So basically, they want to educate people about Judaism, and so they do very good a cappella, yeshiva choir style, ha, um, a cappella versions of famous songs, and they've taken Hamilton. I don't, have you seen Hamilton? No, no, it's I've not It's about the American actually. Constitution yes, yeah. and all of that sort of thing. Mm. Well, you know, fighting for freedom and all the rest of it. And they've taken the story of Hanukkah, so, you know, the sons of the Maccabees, and they I absolutely love it because you've got to watch the video die because these guys are hilarious. They never mind making fools of themselves, which I hugely admire. And they tell the story of Hanukkah. Now, obviously, Jesus celebrated mm -hmm. Hanukkah, 
you know, the Feast of Dedication. And it's really important to think of, I think, you know, the feasts that he was celebrating because they're all poems that teach us about life. I want to find a couple of the lyrics for you, actually, so that you can listen out for them. Because it's quite fast at the beginning. But there's this lovely line, you'll be Greek, soon you'll see, you will pray to Zeus the same as me. And then, we've been here since Abraham and Mum Sarah, uh, we'll never vow to bow to a statue of Hera. So it's kind oh, it's of... great, it's, yes. it's a rap piece, yeah. I'll leave you to enjoy it. I Obviously, because I later on in life discovered my father's Jewish roots, because my Ukrainian grandmother was a Bolshevik, so she never talked to me about Judaism, even though she was Jewish. Thank you for letting us hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, I love to introduce people to the Maccabees because of the joy. It's so <laughs> joyful. Isn't it? Mm. And, you know, it, there's lots of them. Once you get onto YouTube and start looking at their playlist, you'll, you'll have wasted, not wasted a whole afternoon, but you'll really get enjoyed all the Jewish festivals. And in fact, when I was invited to Canada, I went, I was in America studying theology of the body and I, um, I was wearing a little harp 
that I always wear because I'm a bard. She mm-hmm. says, not mm-hmm. wearing it at the moment um, uh, since I've had COVID. My skin's become super sensitive. I can't wear anything. Wow. But I was wearing this harp and the man opposite me said, why are you wearing a harp? I said, because I'm a bard. I said... He said, that's interesting. I said, why? He said, I write fantasy novels. I said, that is interesting. I said, what about? He said, bards. And he said, and what they do is when they become a bard, they wear a silver harp just like that. He said, and he gave me all his fantasy novels. And then he said, would you like to come to Canada to teach my mission school? Which I then ended up doing every year for five years on the prairie. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived, his wife used to put up a little sign saying, welcome to your home on the prairie in Saskatchewan. And I always used to teach the students who were sort of post-university wanting to get into mission, you know, on all that sort of thing. I used to introduce them to the Maccabees and always on their feedback was, we love the Jews now. <laughs> and that's very important, ladies and gentlemen. I was on that Christian, act, Christian stand against anti-Semitism uh, prayer vigil outside Whitehall. Where was everybody else, I'd like to know? Anyway, moving swiftly on, Di. Right. Now, before we close, for the mass at Walsingham, moving swiftly on, um, tell us about being a bard. Oh, yes. I mean, now this is what you do now. You're, you're an itinerant bard. That you is go true. from place yes. to place. Um, and it sounds extraordinary. Well, the thing is, I mean, once you discern that this is what I have to do, God makes the way. So God made the way for me to end up visiting hermits who said in Canada who said be a bard and then and then I met a sheep that ate my business notes when I came back then I met Sarah Myers and we were bards for six years and then I met Sarah Larkin and we were bards uh, but together. what do you what does a bard do you write poetry you 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 um I mean I spent years um living with poets I mean not, oh, right. not living with in, in, yeah but living with poets I mean but do you do you go out? Do you sell your goods? Do you, you know? Yes. Well, it began by just entertaining people at a papier-mâché class and a job. But then gradually people become interested. And then gradually I've developed a capacity to sell things a bit better. Um, so you might perform at an event and then somebody says, will you come to my yes. occupational yeah. therapy managers conference? Mm. And you go okay uh, they say will you come to my seminary and you go why not yes. and they go that was the best night we had in the seminary will Great. you come and yeah. speak to the bishop of whatever mm. and it just rolls along um and then eventually after about 20 years i somebody persuaded me to write a book of the poems so i did that and then recorded it i've seen them in Waltingham. oh really yes Yes, I saw them in the window. Of, oh, um... Thank goodness there's some left. <laughs> I don't know where the others are. But, I mean, learning business skills has been tricky because it's not natural to me. I think it's more of a calling and and God always makes a way. And, I mean, we have on Radio Maria now, I do my Bardcast, uh, which is to help other people write as well because Good. it's a healing art because it's a gift to your soul. And if you're authentic with yourself, it's going to help other people be authentic too. So there's lots I could say, but I think it's more like a prophetic calling, really. And I think so too. Because you're a writer too, aren't you? So you know yes. all about this. <laughs> yes. Um, now we really are out of time, so we're going to have to play your, your last music out of the show. So I'm going to just 
tell us what the title is, then we can hear it. It's called Further Along, and it's all about, well, at the end, we'll understand it better. And I'm choosing this because it's the music I used to cheer my mother up when I was looking after her after my father died. And then I got her into a showbiz care home, and she's having the time of her life. Sarah, thank you so much. <laughs> I've loved talking to you this morning. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you sharing so your music with us. Thank you.